Blog Talk Radio. Hi everyone, this is Marty McDermott, the president of Franchise Interviews, and I can't start today's show without talking about the ISO 10002. You know, some people just love to complain, but companies have a responsibility to care. The International Organization for Standardization, ISO, has revised ISO 10002, the standard for complaint handling. This document enables organizations to foster a customer-focused environment, open the feedback, heightening their customer satisfaction. You can get the ISO 10002 standard from the American National Standards Institute, ANSI, the U.S. member body of ISO. Visit ANSI.org forward slash complain to learn more. That's ANSI.org forward slash complain to learn more. Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. Franchise interviews from Eastern Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia. You're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. Welcome to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews has been giving an up-close, behind-the-scenes look at franchising and entrepreneurship. Listen to interviews with franchisers, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts, and attorneys. And now... Welcome your host, Marty McDermott, and Franchise Interviews. Hi everyone, and welcome to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over eight years, we've been asking the entrepreneurs one-on-one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott, I'm the president of Franchise Interviews, and we have a great show today. We're meeting with Tony Lutfi, the CEO of the Marlu Investment Group. At the Marlu Investment Group, our franchise owners to systems like Arby's, Church's Chicken, Jack in the Box, Sears Appliance and Hardware Stores, Sears Home Appliance Showrooms, Sears Outlet Stores, Little Caesars, Sizzler, and more. We're going to talk to Tony about that in just a moment on Franchise Interviews. So stick around because we've got a great show. Franchisers, are you looking to reach aspiring entrepreneurs looking to buy a franchise? Are you looking to reach a highly educated audience on franchising? For over eight years, Franchise Interviews has been giving an up-close, behind-the-scenes look at franchising and entrepreneurship through our website, FranchiseInterviews.com, where you can hear and read interviews as well as get tips from some of the most successful sources in franchising. Our weekly franchise radio show where each week you get to hear a new interview with franchisers, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts and attorneys, and our podcast, Great Quotes in Franchising. For more information, go to FranchiseInterviews.com or call us at 610-905-2919. That's 610-905-2919. Franchise Interviews. From Eastern Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia, you're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to a very special edition of Franchise Interviews, where for over eight years, We've been asking the entrepreneurs one-on-one. I'm your host, Marty McDermott. I'm the president of Franchise Interviews. 
And as we were saying earlier, we have a great show today. We're meeting with Tony Lutzi, the CEO of the Marlow Investment Group. At the Marlow Investment Group, our franchise owners to systems like Arby's, Church's Chicken, Jack in the Box, Sears Appliance and Hardware Stores, Sears Home Appliance Showrooms, Sears Outlet Stores, Little Caesars, Sizzler, and more. Hi, Tony. How are you doing? Welcome to the show. I am doing well. How are you? It is, it's, I'm doing well, Tony. It's great to have you on the show. You wouldn't know this, but we've been hosting this show now for eight years, and I think you've been referenced about eight to ten times on the show. So uh, so forgive me if I feel like I know you, because uh, I've been following your career for, for quite some time now. So thanks for coming on the show. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. That's my pleasure. We'd like to ask our guest, where are you calling from this morning, Tony? I am calling from Sacramento, actually, El Grove, just about ten miles south of Sacramento, California. Fantastic. How's the weather there today, Tony? It's actually cloudy, but, but hmm. expected to be um, to be good. We're two days before Christmas, and we're looking yeah. forward to hopefully good weather on Christmas Day. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Well, it's cold here in Pennsylvania, but uh, yeah, but that's I guess to be expected. You have a great story, Tony. I mean, maybe we can go back to the beginning. You know, and you can tell us about your history in franchising. Um, you know, when did you begin uh, working or investing in a franchise, and, and what initial franchise concepts did you invest in? I'll tell you, most of us in the franchising world um, end up being franchisees really by default. I don't know that anybody grows up going to school and college uh, with the idea and the plan that they want to become franchisees. For me, yeah. um, it was it was really um, uh, life just taking its course. I started right. out uh, as an immigrant, as an employee with Jack in the Box, washing dishes uh, yeah. at age 16 while going to school. And um, and eventually became a restaurant manager and right. a training manager. My career took place. I quit school and eventually um, became a supervisor and vice president of a company. And in the early 90s, I became a partner with a large investment group uh, where we operated 78 Arby's in Northern California. So by the mid-90s, I decided to go out on my own and uh, purchase two Arby's restaurants and operated them in 1996. Right. So we went from two locations in 1996 to where we are today, over 208 locations in 11 states. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, it really is. <clears throat> I guess you could say, I mean, it is the American dream, isn't it, Tony? I mean, again, the the several times that we've referenced you on the show, I mean, it, it really is the American dream, isn't it? It really is. I, I you know, it. I, I suppose nowadays it could happen anywhere, but it can't happen any way better than it does in the U.S., uh, you know, for me being an immigrant uh, with limited education at that time and, and really hardly any money, somebody mentored me along the way, and I was able to find a, a, a breakthrough and uh-huh. took advantage of it. So really, uh, it, it is the American dream. I, I speak in a lot of conferences, and when people tell me, what is it that you do? And I say, I'm living the dream, because I really feel that I'm living the dream. Absolutely. You were talking about your mentor <clears throat> early on, and I guess that was um, Bill uh, Brussian, um, you know, because we have, you know, again, mentioned your story on the show before. And he said something interesting, Tony, on the show. Is he, he mentioned that the only way you can build wealth is, is through investment, not by working for a salary. And I guess that had a, a pretty big impact on you, didn't it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We, um, you know, I was faced with an opportunity where I had just bought uh, the two restaurants and, and finally, you know, reached my dream. And I had an opportunity to go work for a public company and they offered me an incredible salary with an amazing yeah. bonus. And I called Bill Breslin at the time and I asked for his advice. And he says, Tony, look, 
if you want to build wealth, you could only do it by owning businesses and making an investment. You could always make money, but building wealth is different. And really, that stuck with me all these years. And uh, and I still listen to his words, even though he passed two years ago. I still listen to oh, his words uh, yeah. in, in my head, um, you know, repeating the same thing. And sure enough, for me, it has been the case. Um, certainly, all of us can work for a living and, and make money, but building wealth, and uh, paying off investments and being able to finance large projects is not something that the average person can do, but it takes a mm -hmm. lifetime worth of work to get sure. to the point to where you have the the infrastructure and really the, the financing ability to be able to do these projects that we've been able to do in a, on a large scale. It's it's amazing. If you go back to the beginning, Tony, I mean, were your goals, <clears throat> I mean, today, I mean, you're, you're as large as like 200 plus units, but I mean, back then, I mean, when you go back to the beginning, I mean, w was that your goal in the beginning or was this kind of like a, just like a natural progression over time? It's both. Um, both. Really, when, when I, in the early 90s, when I finally became a partner, a 10% partner of a small company, I wanted to get to 50 units before I turned 50. So I don't know if that goal was really feasible in my head, but that was the dream. Um, yeah. But the goal, the, the, the most important part of it was I wanted to be an entrepreneur, I wanted to be independent, and I wanted to allow my ability to manage people and work with people to, to develop into something that was bigger. I didn't know the size uh, nor did I plan for it to be a you know a number of revenue, whether it's ten million or five million, whatever it was. Right, it was right. really finding a way to make a living and support my family at the same time, satisfying my personal need, which is to be an entrepreneur. Um, and and really, once that took place, it was more about the opportunities that came our way. And I always uh -huh. say, the difference between opportunity and regret is being ready. So if you're ready, you see the opportunity as an opportunity. Otherwise, you spend a lifetime regretting the fact that you missed the opportunity. So, so to me, it's about being ready. And I've always worked so hard to make sure that we are ready for whenever that opportunity came our way. That's fantastic. We have this um, <clears throat> great quotes in franchising uh, podcast. We're gonna we're gonna put that quote in there, Tony, if you don't mind. I, I think that's that's very powerful. Maybe we could talk a little bit about um, your company. I mean, the Marlow Investment Group. I mean, they're larger than many franchise chains. Um, how do you maintain healthy operations, and and what's your corporate structure like, Tony? Well, uh, thank you for asking that. I, I think we're in the people's business. That's the first mm -hmm. thing that I try to remind myself every single morning. I think that we are committed. Uh, if you look at our logo, it's really four equal triangles mm -hmm. made, made up in a large triangle. Right. And those triangles stand for the uh, pillars of our business. And the pillars of the business are really for any business, if you think about it. It's right. really taking care of the customer. Mm -hmm. taking care of your employees who take care of the customer, taking care of the brands and protecting the brands and the image where the customers and the employees live, work, and shop, and then finally making sure that you have a profitable organization that can pay its debt and take care of the employees. So really, the, those are the pillars in how we manage the business, and we try to make decisions every single time that almost contributes equally to every one of those pillars. I think often when people get in trouble, they begin to make decisions based on the moment 
and they make a decision to satisfy a problem for the next five days or ten days or maybe right. five months or ten months. We try to make decisions for the next 20 years to be sure that what we're doing is, is really the right thing to do for the brand, for the customers, for the employees, and for the organization. So really that's, that's been our mentality. As for the structure, because we operate multiple brands and we operate in multiple states, it has become necessary for us to have a brand champion or a director that operates in the market where we do business. So in each market, whether it's Phoenix, Tucson, Las Vegas, Sacramento, San Francisco, uh, Seattle, Portland, uh-huh. uh, St. Louis, Kansas City, wherever we are, and, and this individual, whether it's a he or she, typically are a seasoned individual that understands the business, has a great communication skills, and is able to make decisions almost like a CEO of his own company, but at the same time communicate with us on a daily basis. So this way we are aligned in, in the strategy and also in the tactical moves that we make, whether they may be marketing, cost control, um, you know, pricing and, uh, you know, or franchising right. issues. So for us, it's really the, the structure that we've, we've designed. But at the same time, we have a support center in El Grove, Sacramento, uh, mm-hmm. where we employ almost 30 individuals. And our main, main purpose is to support our managers and our directors by providing them with the tools and the information that is necessary for them to do the jobs that they need to do in managing these businesses. So really, it's become very complicated as we are today, but the, the, the plan was the same. From the time that we were two restaurants to the, to, till today, it's, it's providing the tools that are necessary for the people that are serving the guests so they can find easy success. That's very powerful. You mentioned your. <clears throat> it sounds like you know most of your units are located along the West Coast. Are, are is that where you pretty much set up, Tony? Yes, it started out by being uh, clearly an operator in California, and mm-hmm. then eventually we moved into Nevada, and then right. Phoenix, and Texas. But really, the the idea was to maintain positioning in the Southwest. And really, originally, in the early days, I wanted to be sure that we were involved with franchises that were in business for at least 25 years, faced failure at least once and survived, meaning that they have a relationship between them and the consumer that even management couldn't um, negatively impact. We wanted to be in metropolitan areas where population was at a growth path, we wanted to be within an arm's reach, uh, and that's being, you know, to be able to get there within an hour or two hour right, flight. Right. And then we wanted to be in weather areas that um, didn't have the dramatic changes um, oh. and was somewhat more predictable. As you know, in the Northeast, it becomes very unpredictable because of the weather conditions. But, you know, yeah. you consider San Diego and Southern California, the weather is pretty much consistent throughout the year. So we felt that we needed to do business in areas where we, things were more predictable. Um, and But, you know, since that time, we've we've experimented with Kansas City and St. Louis, and those are areas that are not necessarily within our range and, and a little right. bit outside of our range. But the market was ripe for us, and we were able to get a pretty good deal on, on these investments. And, and we thought that at the time that the, the opportunity outweighed the risk, and, and we made the decision. And, and so far, it's been just amazingly successful for us. 
That's fantastic. You're listening to Franchise Interviews, and we're speaking with Tony Luffy, the CEO of the Marlowe Investment Group. Have you got your family involved <clears throat> in the business at all, Tony? Yes. Um, I have three children. They're all boys. Um, my oldest one is Metri. He is now 29 years old. He's the franchisee of record with Jack in the Box, wow. operating 21 Jack in the Boxes. And then my second one graduated as a civil engineer, but he's also working with us operating 50 Arby's in the Northwest and uh, Southern California. Um, in addition to that, I have both my brothers and my sister that work in the support center. Um, and uh, my nephew, who has been uh, really my partner all these years, started working with me when he's 19. He's now 40, so he's been with me for 21 years. And he's wow. really the heart and soul of our organization. He, he and I um, work in tandem, so he finishes the sentences that I start, and I do the same thing for him. So the two of us really have uh, have built this organization, and really it's become a family business more than anything else. And, and when we talk about family, we we don't necessarily just consider the blood, uh, the children, and, the, and right. the relatives. We think of everybody as family. Now we have a family of 5,000 employees, and we're, <laughs> wow. proud, and we're proud of each, <clears throat> each and every one of them. That's fantastic. What uh, franchise brands are you focusing um, at your growth on today, Tony? I think it, all, all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, we have, we have um, development commitments with almost every brand. Um, currently, we are under um, an agreement with Arby's to develop 10 additional units. We just signed an agreement with TGI Fridays to develop five additional units. And we have six remaining on the, on the development agreement with churches. And um, with Sears, it's more about acquisition rather than development. Yet at the same time, we have one being developed in uh, Corona, California, because we ended up closing one unit due to lease. So we're opening another one uh, here shortly within the next 120 days. And uh, so really from a development perspective, you always have to develop because what happens is neighborhoods change over a period of 20 years. Right. And what used to be good business at one time may or may not continue to be good business. So if you don't develop and continue to grow your organization, eventually the facilities get old and the neighborhood changes, and it's just a matter of time until you go out of business. So you, you continuously have to evolve and grow in our business or in the franchising business in general. Was that part of the mindset, Tony, in getting involved in, in Sears? I mean, were a lot of people surprised? I mean, because typically, you know, you were um, very much, you know, a large part of your career, yeah, even when you first came here, was in food. I, I mean, um, what was the mindset, and, and what has that been like for you, you know, in getting involved with Sears? You know, we built our organization based, based on diversification and uh-huh. really seeking opportunity. So after the recession, in 2007, 2008, and what went on with the homes in America, I felt that you know the real estate cycle was a seven-year cycle or a 15-year cycle, depending on how you look at it, seven right. years up and seven years down. So I felt that the cycle will soon turn, and then people will begin to build homes and buy homes. And the life cycle of appliances is seven to ten years. Not necessarily that these appliances fall apart, but the, right. the, the families grow and they give them to their children and buy new appliances and upgrade their kitchens and so forth. So I met uh, with Sears in one of the conventions in Las Vegas, and the idea intrigued me in a big way. So I took about three months to do all the research, and I came back and thought, you know, it just makes sense. And we ended up signing a deal with them to acquire 13 locations in Texas, 
St. and St. Louis, and today we right. operate 40 of them. Uh, we sell almost $200 million in appliances on an annual basis. So we, uh, uh, you know, we felt that it was the right business. And then Sears, as you know, sells the vast majority of all appliances in America today. And they own the brand Kenmore, and there's one Kenmore in every three homes in America today. So we felt that being involved with, with a great reputable company like Sears that yeah. has a reputation with and, and the relationship with the consumer and owns brands that are only owned by Sears, we felt that we would have a huge advantage. And then, of course, knowing the people business and knowing how to hire quality employees and how to keep quality employees, we felt that learning the retail was not the difficult part. Managing right. the people was always the difficult part. So we felt that we could do the people side of the business, and it would just take us a few months to learn the retail side of the business, and, in fact, we did. That's fascinating. We... um. You know, we had Sears on the show, and it was funny when I had the gentleman on. We were t- coincidentally, it was like three or four weeks ago. Um, our washing machine just went after the ten-year mark, and of course, we went to Sears, and of course, we purchased a Kenmore. So you're right about that. You know, that that seven to ten-year mark, it was it was almost like ten years to the to the date. You know, so it, it, it's really fascinating. Are, are you thinking of investing in in other non-restaurant franchises, Tony? Not at this point, because we have yeah. such a large commitment with each of the brands that we yeah. we currently serve. Um, I, I think it becomes a little more difficult to manage. So we are careful to be diversified, but at the same time, keep it somewhat manageable. Um, and at this point, because of the commitment and the re-image uh, demand that we have, um, I think getting involved with any other uh, retail would be probably a little too difficult for us. Yet I could tell you that if if I were to choose, I would certainly um, be focused more on retail and probably would focus on the uh, on places where we sell shoes. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that's a that's a huge demand and there's an incredible mm-hmm. amount of profit in it. But really, I think I'm satisfied from the retail perspective because my forte has been restaurants and serving people. That's fantastic. There's so many. Um franchise systems out there today, Tony. When we started the show, and you've been involved in franchising a long time now, when we started the show, I think the number that they used to give was like about like 1,500 or 1,600 different systems. And I think today they're even saying like there's 2,500 to 4,000 different systems. Are, Are you surprised at all the different types of franchises that are out there today? I am not surprised. I'm concerned a little bit. I'm not surprised because... You know, so the the whole idea of of success in the franchising yeah. business is the process of duplication. Sure. So uh, you you find something that works and uh, and and you build it to become successful, and then the idea is to repeat it over and over again. As I travel through throughout America and the United States and the small cities, you you realize that we are a a a, a country of villages. The, and and all of them are the same. So wherever you go in and you see a Jack in the Box and a McDonald's and a Burger King and an Arby's, uh, you go into the next town and you see the same thing. So I am not surprised. I worry sometimes about these young companies that really have not proven themselves out. Um, and they've only had one or two models and they're three years into their tenure and suddenly they want to go into franchising and they go out there and sell their story. I think that's a little concerning for me. Some of them will be greatly successful. Uh Um, The vast majority may fail and I don't want to be on the risk side. 
Sure. So while I'm not surprised, I'm a little concerned. Sure, absolutely. I think I think that's that's a great response. The majority of our listeners, we call them um, aspiring entrepreneurs, Tony. I mean, they know that they want to get into franchising, and I think that is one of the challenges. Is there's just there's so much out there today that most of them don't even know where to begin. And you've been so successful in franchising. What advice would you give to our listeners in their quest to buy a franchise? I would say follow your passion, number one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think your passion should be the driver of all decisions made. It should not be necessarily the money um, or the empire that you're willing to or you're, you aspire to build. It should be your passion. You should be able to wake up every single morning and look forward to doing what you do. And ultimately, if you're um, because the, we are surrounded with experts, and they're all willing to help, and they're all willing mm-hmm. to mentor, some of them for free, some of them for a fee. But you will have all of the help that you need, but you have to love what you do. When right. you don't love and enjoy what you do, even if you have success, ultimately it's misery. Uh, so to me, it's more about the passion. And and the second piece is working with people. Regardless of what franchise you're going to be involved in, ultimately you have to work with people, whether they are employees, partners, customers, or the franchisor. You have to have the ability to work with people and compromise on some of the topics because ultimately everybody needs to be somewhat right. And the ability to negotiate and reach um, um, a fair compromise is always an asset. So for me, it's, it's about passion and people always. And it sounds like, you know, even in your early days, Tony, of, you know, when you were working in a franchise, you know, as just an employee, it sounded like th- there was something about it that th- there was a spark there. You liked it. I remember you mentioning um, in an interview that, you know, it was just fun for you, like listening to all the people talk, and it was always busy, and, and you seemed to like that, didn't you? I, I in the restaurant of fast food because I, as, as an immigrant in my early days, I was not too talkative um, right. and I was a little shy so yet when it was really busy that was where I was at my best because I could really participate and I could help and I could serve the customers and they would smile back at me and it really helped me develop my my, my personality in due time right. so right. really it's it it's that piece of it for me that has been uh, the most rewarding is working with people and knowing that I could make a difference in their lives that's fantastic. What's the way, uh, best way for our listeners to get more um, information um, on you and your company, Tony? I mean, is there any website they can go to? Um, I mean, there's a lot of information on you personally on the Internet, um, but is there any websites that they can go to to get more information on the Marlu Investment Group? Yes, we have a website. It's The, uh, the website is marlugroup.com. Okay. Um, so it, it is available. It is running 24 hours a day. So we, we have not updated it with the most recent acquisition. Uh, but I would say in the next two weeks, we will we would have updated it with the TGI Fridays. That's fantastic. I actually met my wife at a TGI Fridays. Um, <laughs> so it always has a special place for us, you know. Uh, uh, in, our, in our hearts, so I, I think that's fantastic. Um, I want to thank you again, Tony, for coming on the show. This has been a privilege for me. Um, I, I've done 400 of these interviews, and uh, you are one of the individuals that I've always wanted to interview, so it's a thrill for me to be talking to you right now, and I want to thank you again for coming on the show. It's a real privilege. Thank you very much. I appreciate you taking the time to meet with us. Thank you very much. 
That's my pleasure, Tony. We'll be right back with more franchise interviews. Coming up on segment two, you're going to hear what every franchisepreneur needs to know before buying a franchise. We're going to play a clip from our popular Great Quotes in Franchising podcast right here on Franchise Interviews. Franchisers, are you looking to reach aspiring entrepreneurs looking to buy a franchise? Are you looking to reach a highly educated audience on franchising? For over eight years, Franchise Interviews has been giving an up-close, behind-the-scenes look at franchising and entrepreneurship through our website, FranchiseInterviews.com, where you can hear and read interviews as well as get tips from some of the most successful sources in franchising. Our weekly franchise radio show where each week you get to hear a new interview with franchisers, franchisees, franchise authors, franchise experts, and attorneys, and our podcast, Great Quotes in Franchising. For more information, go to FranchiseInterviews.com or call us at 610-905-2919. That's 610-905-2919. Hi, everyone. This is Marty McDermott, the president of Franchise Interviews, and welcome to another edition of Great Quotes in Franchising. Reach podcast you get to hear a great quote in franchising. You know, we've been hosting Franchise Interviews many years now, and during that time we've had some incredible quotes on the show. Today you're going to get to hear from Joseph Berger, and Joseph is the president of You Got Maze, and Joseph said something on the show that we haven't heard, interesting enough, in 650 shows. He described franchising as an open book, but we're going to let Joseph explain why, so here we go. You were kind of like, I guess you could say you're almost like born into franchising, Joseph. I mean, you've been exposed to it, it seems like, most of your life. Um, what do you What do you like most about franchising? Yeah, and you're right. I ha- I've been around franchising for a while. I I I, st- I like to tell people I started when I was seven. I started answering phones and folding boxes at Domino's. Worked at started at twenty five cents an hour with a free soda, uh, as much as I could drink, and worked up from there. Uh, and what I love about it, what we do, uh, I, I see where entrepreneurship, where small business ownership, has helped my family. You know, my right. my dad's from yeah. Northeast Philly, uh, row homes. Uh, my mom wasn't much better off, and they've been able to really just turn their, you know, turn their stars around right. and right. build a really good life for all of us. And I love working with franchisees because I, I get to be a part of them doing that for their family, and that's just inspiring every right. day. That's yeah, it's inspiring what you just said, Joseph. Because you know, I know that area, you know, of Philadelphia. I get down to Philly, you know, every so often, and and I think you're right. You know, it's it's one of the things that impresses me too, Joseph, is that you know, a lot of people, I think they want to get into entrepreneurship, but they don't know how to, right? And I think franchising, you know, allows them that ability to become an entrepreneur, doesn't it? Absolutely. One of the things I like, we like to say in the process is like, you know, imagine you have to t- you have to take a really hard test, and this test determines like everything. Right. But you know, if you're with if you're doing it with a franchise, it's open book. Right. We've already made right. the mistakes. We've already found the opportunities. We've we've laid out all the processes, uh, and we hone it every day. I mean, all of our our new idea we still are updating. It's never going to be done. Uh, we're getting all of our great ideas from our franchisees now. But you can start off with that rather than you know opening your doors and like how how do I get maids? How do I get clients? Right. How do I keep them? Right. That's terrific. I've never heard that analogy in, in 650 shows, Joseph, but it makes sense. You know, I like how you, you called franchising an open book, you know, because you're right. You know, when a lot of people do get into, 
entrepreneurship, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that they just don't know, you know, and they make a lot of mistakes. And, um, you know, sometimes that mis- some of those mistakes, you know, are detrimental to, you know, their business. So, um, you know, to call it an open book, I, I think that's, I think that's really very clever. If you'd like to hear that whole interview with Joseph Berger of You Got Mates, all you have to do is go to FranchiseInterviews.com, simply go to our Franchise Interviews by Category page, and go to our Cleaning category, or you can simply go to our Franchises Listed Alphabetically page. And lastly, we just want to thank everyone for making this podcast, our Great Quotes of Franchising podcast, such a big hit. And we'll see you again soon with another edition of Great Quotes in Franchising from Franchise Interviews. Take care, everyone. Franchise Interviews. From Eastern Pennsylvania to Sydney, Australia, you're listening to Franchise Interviews. Franchise Interviews.